Morning, Boker Tov. Welcome to our Aliyah Day. It is good to be back with you uh, live and in person. We have uh, been traveling this week, and so as a result of it, as I've been saying on a, a few of the Aliyot that I've been able to do this week, our travels and our schedule have wreaked havoc on us being able to, or me being able to, um, have the Aliyah Day. So I apologize for that. I am sorry it was so erratic and missing. But we are back, and we are in Behaloteca. And today, on the Aliyah that you are viewing at this very moment, we are going to be looking at the 6th and 7th reading. So, the 6th and 7th reading begin on uh, page 787 in your, um, in your art scroll, Chumash. It actually begins in chapter 10 of the book of Bamidbar uh, at, at verse 35. So 35 and 36 are very unique. We're going to learn here in just a moment that we read that when we read verse 35 and verse 36, we are actually, in fact, reading, according to the sages, an entirely new book of Torah in two verses, which have a lot of impact, a lot of... Um, ideas, a lot of sayings for us to be able to realize and internalize. So, Beholoteca is actually a, a very action-packed, action-oriented uh, parasha. So let's read the uh, sixth and seventh aliot, and then we will, with God's help, discuss them and glean from them. So it says, Vahi bin Aaron vayomer Moshe kuma Adonai veyasu Et zecha veanus mesanecha mifaneka uv nochol yomer shavua alonai revot alefe Yisrael. When the ark would travel, Moshe would say, Arise, Adonai, and let your foes be scattered. Let those who hate you flee from before you. And when it would rest, he would say, Reside tranquilly, tranquilly, Adonai, among the myriad thousands of Israel. These verses should seem uh, uh, familiar to you because we say them every week during the Torah service when the, uh, when the Torah comes forth and when we return the Torah to the Ark. These are part of the liturgy. And, and, and these, as I said earlier, the sages point out that these form uh, a book of the Torah. And the reason for it, if you have have your art school humash, you can notice this on page 786 in the Hebrew section. You'll notice that prior to this verse, there is an inverted noon. And at the conclusion of the verse, there is another inverted noon. This is what it looks like in the Torah scroll. And as a result, the sages have pointed out, this is a whole new book of Torah. We're going to learn in a moment why it's significant and why it... Uh, is, is a book of Torah. So let's continue reading in chapter 11, verse 1. <clears throat> the people took to seeking complaints, <clears throat> pardon me, and it was evil in the, in the ears of Adonai, and Adonai heard, and his wrath flared, and a fire of Adonai burned against them. And it consumed at the edge of the camp, the people cried out to Moshe, and Moshe prayed to Adonai, and the fire died down. <clears throat> he named that place Taborah, for the fire of Adonai had burned against them. The rabble that was among them cultivated a craving, and the children of Israel also wept once more and said, Who will feed us meat? Now, I want to point out here, 
and verse 4, the word meat is the Hebrew basar, which means meat, like red meat. What's important about this as we read this story is we will find out that the meat that Hashem provides, because He, prov- he promises to provide um, the children of Israel with meat per their complaint. Of course, it doesn't work out well for us in this particular story. There is a f- similar story, I believe it's in Shemot 35, if I'm not mistaken, where we also ask for meat and the same exact provision is provided for us by Hashem. What provision is that? It's quail. And as some of you might have just realized, that quail is a bird. Quail is a fowl. And so the reason I bring this up is because in, in Judaism, it's taught that we're not allowed by Torah law, not rabbinic law, but by Torah law, we're not allowed to have meat and dairy together, any type of dairy. So you can't have a cheeseburger, Right. You also can't put butter on your bread if you're eating a meat meal. And there's many other examples. You can't have a glass of milk with it or whatever. So we're not allowed to have meat and dairy together. But the rabbis say, and I don't really understand this particular rationale, and I have asked, I, many years ago I took a class on kashrut in Dallas at an uh, orthodox um, yeshiva type place. And... I actually asked this question to the, the rabbi who was teaching. He was very learned. And he did not have an answer. And my question was simply this. The sages say that the prohibition of meat and, or excuse me, that dairy and fowl together is a rabbinic prohibition. Whereas red meat uh, and dairy is a Torah prohibition. Not allowed to have a chicken sandwich with meat on it, or excuse me, with cheese on it. Um, but it's put in the category as a rabbinic prohibition. But my issue with that is that in this story, when you're going to see the word meat, is basar, is used multiple times, and in, and in both instances here and also in the book of Exodus, God, in response to giving us meat, he provides us quail. My point being is that obviously God associates fowl with meat. It's a very simple uh, statement. And so I did ask this question, and um, not because I'm a genius, but just because it was asked. The rabbi said, I've never, I've never heard of that. I've never thought about that before. So I, I, th- I thought it was interesting. So how can we call something rabbinic prohibition when, in fact, uh, here in the Torah, we learn that God views foul as meat? So I bring this up because there might be people out there who wonder, is it okay to have uh, chicken parmesan? The answer is no, because chicken is meat, turkey is meat, quail is meat, birds of the feather fly together. All right, so it says, verse 5, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt, free of charge, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Obviously, this group were Democrats. They believed in socialism. They wanted to go back to an area in which they could have all this stuff free of charge. They want to work for it. They want to have free college, free health care, uh, guaranteed salary, guaranteed income, guaranteed job. And uh, they want all that stuff. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Wonderful. Of course, they forgot that when they were in Egypt, they lived in the slums. They forgot that when they were in Egypt, yes, they got free fish, but it was the uh, the worst of the worst. It was the... It was, as the sages pointed out, it was the, the, the trash fish that the Egyptians didn't want to eat, so they gave it to the Israelites. 
And all this other stuff they ate was all the cheap food that the Egyptians gave to their slaves and the whole purpose of feeding them was not so they can enjoy luxury, but rather so they can have just be healthy enough to work for them. You know, I, not to get political here, but there was, uh, what, uh, eight years ago or however long it's been, there was uh, people that were saying they were going to get phones, right? The President of the United States at the time, President Obama, was promising everybody, if you're going to get a free phone, if you vote for me, you get a free phone. <clears throat> it became known as the Obama phones. I'm not making it up. It's, it's actual real. So everybody in their mind, they were thinking iPhone, uh, Galaxy 7 Plus, I don't whatever, if that's a real phone, I don't know. They were thinking, uh, you know, big tablet smartphone with all the bells and whistles. And what they got was a jitterbug. What they got was a little flip phone, a little cheap phone, a little, uh, little, little uh, Radio Shack type phone. And I'm sure they were disappointed. Point being... Is it anything free that you get? If you choose to be a slave, you want the free stuff, it's always going to be the cheap stuff. Remember that. But they all wanted the uh, fish. They all wanted the cucumbers. They wanted the melons, leeks, onions. But now our life is parched. There is nothing. We have nothing to anticipate but the manna. This is very sad. Why? Because the manna comes from Hashem, right? Yes. It tastes beautiful. We're going to learn in a second. Uh, the the uh, to whom it tasted beautiful to and to whom didn't like it. I don't know if that's proper English or not, but anyway, the sages also tell us in the Talmud that the manna would taste like anything you wanted it to taste like. You sit down to have your manna. You want it to taste like filet mignon or whatever, or steak or not filet mignon, but uh, what do you call it? Um, whatever, good steak. You want it to taste like brisket, like Menashe's brisket? Tastes like Menashe's brisket. You want it to taste like uh, fettuccine Alfredo? Tastes like fettuccine Alfredo. It reminds me of the story of Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. Remember that story? The Lost Boys would sit down, they were eating, they were pretending to eat, but they were having delicious food. It was whatever they put their mind to. I'm sure whoever wrote that story was a Jew who had read the Talmud. So they're re eating this stuff, and they don't like it. Just goes to show you can never make everybody happy at the same time. If everybody's happy, something's wrong. If everybody loves you, something's wrong. Remember that if you don't have haters, you're not making it. Verse 7, Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color was like the color of the betolach. The people would stroll and gather. It was easy to collect. You just walk out there and get it. It was only easy if you were obeying God. The Torah is only hard if you're disobedient. The people would stroll out and gather it and grind it in a mill or pound it in a mortar and cook it in a pot or make it into cakes and it was taste like the taste of dough kneaded with oil. When the dew descended upon the camp at night, the manna would descend upon it. Moses heard the people weeping in their family groups, each one to the inch of his tent, and the wrath of Hashem flared greatly, and in the eyes of Moses it was bad. I love that phrase. In the eyes of Moses it was bad. No kidding. Moses said to uh, Hashem, why have you done evil to your servant? Why have I not found favor in your eyes that you placed the burden of this entire people upon me? Here we find Moses cracking a little bit under the strain of leadership. It's understandable. But now, instead of blaming the people, he's blaming God. It's never a good thing. God's never the problem. We're always the problem. We should always remember that. 
We're always the problem. So it says, did I conceive this entire people or did I give birth to it that you should say to me, carry me in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling to the land that you swore to its forefathers? Where shall I get meat to give this entire people when they weep to me saying, give us meat that we may eat? Everything that Moses is saying here is completely understandable because Moses is just a man, which is why he could not be the final redeemer. You hear what I just said? Everything that Moses says here is completely understandable. I completely, uh, as a human being, I can relate to it. I would have probably cracked a long time ago. But the reason that Moses could not be the final redeemer, the reason he was incapable of taking us into the promised land, of, of bringing us into the messianic era, was because he was just a man, which is why the Messiah could not be just a man. Because we've already tried this once and it failed. Insanity, a definition thereof, is to do the same thing twice and expect a different result. So we want to have another human Messiah. We're going to have another situation like we'd had in the wilderness. What would be different? Tell me. Can anybody be greater than Moses as a human being, I'm talking? Can anybody be greater than Moses? Moses went up to the mountain in front of all the people. He talked with God face to face. Everybody saw it. Thunder, lightning. He still couldn't bring a sense. And now we want a man to come along and do, try to do the same thing. But we're not at Sinai. You understand what I'm trying to say? This is why we need a divine Messiah. If you don't believe in a divine Messiah, I'm telling you right now, you have no salvation. I just believe that. I'm not telling you. I don't mean that in the case of if you don't believe what I believe, you're going to hell. That's not what I mean. What I mean is a human being can't save you. That's what I mean. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in our God. You understand what I'm saying? All right. Where was I? Capiculo 13. Where shall I get to meet to... Yeah, we read that already. Uh, verse 14. I alone cannot carry this entire nation, for it's too heavy for me. And if this is how you deal with me, then kill me now. I relate to Moses. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, right? I'd rather just die. If you could just take me, it'd be fantastic. But if I have found favor in your eyes, and let me not see my evil. Verse 16. Hashem said to Moshe, Gather to me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and its officers. Take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. I will descend and speak with you there, and I will increase some of the spirit that is upon you and place it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, and you shall not bear alone. To the people you shall say, Prepare yourself for tomorrow. You shall eat meat. No, notice what God says. Going back to my earlier uh, discussion. God says you will eat meat. Basar. The word is basar. As in uh, red meat. right? For you shall weep in the ears of Hashem saying, Who will feed us? For you have wept. Slika. I'm sorry. You have wept in the ears of Adonai saying, Who will feed us meat? For it was better for us in Egypt. That is always terrible to say. So Adonai will give you meat and you will eat. Not for one day shall you eat, nor for two days, nor for five days, nor for ten days, nor for twenty days. Until an entire month of days, until it comes out of your nose. And because nauseating to you, because you will have rejected Adonai, who is in your midst. And you have wept before him, saying, why did we leave Egypt? So the issue here, by the way, that's terrible, isn't it? what God is saying. But the issue here is, as we can see, Hashem is identifying the real problem. This is not because you don't have meat. 
And we learn in, in Rabbi Monk's writings that they had plenty of meat. There were plenty of cattle. There were plenty of sheep. I don't know how many how many people does I, some of you people who are ranchers and and uh, whatever out there can tell me how many how many people can one cow feed? I'm assuming it's a lot. I don't know how many. And so they had all this stuff. So really, it wasn't the meat that was the issue. What was it the issue here? What is God identifies the issue because Hashem sees right through all of our um, all of our nonsense, all of our fake humility, all of our fake compassion. All of our uh, fake obedience. He sees right through it to the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue here is you don't want to follow me. That's the problem. You'd rather go back to your idols. You'd rather go back to your slavery. You'd rather go back to Egypt where there's not any rules. There's no rules just right. You want to go back to Outback Steakhouse. You want to go back there. That's what's at issue here. Some of the sages interpret it when they say that we had the fishes... In Egypt, some of the, the sages interpret that to, to be a euphemism for sexual, uh, you know, freedom. When we were in Egypt, we could self-identify as whatever we wanted to be. When we were in Egypt, we could be with anybody we wanted to be. There was no rules. And so that's what's at stake. And peep, this is just the same thing when people say, well, you know, we want... Uh, we, we want uh, we want people to not be oppressed or we want to uh, have this or have that. We don't want to work. We want everybody to have a job. We want everybody to have free college. What that really means is I want to free things. I want free college. I want, I want, oh, it's all, it's all self-centeredness. And so Hashem identifies, I says, this is the problem. Well, you're going to be punished. Why? Not because you asked for meat. If the people had come to God humbly and said, listen, Everything is great here. Everything is wonderful. We really like the manna. It's fantastic. But it would be nice to have a side of meat. If you don't mind, I should like some meat. Be okay? If you're not, it's okay. God would have given him meat, just like he did in the book of Exodus. He gave us meat. We asked for meat. We asked for meat. He, he gave us meat. He didn't punish us. Here, he punishes us. Why? Because we weren't really asking for meat. What we were really asking for was take your burden of Torah off of our necks. That's what we're really asking for. This is why we... Can I, can I just be real with us for a second? We have to be very careful. We have to be very careful that when we're in the store and we're looking at kosher meat and we're under the delusion, and yes, it is a delusion, because stuff is expensive nowadays. And we look over at the non-kosher meat and we notice that it's less expensive... And we say, Oi, why should I have to pay more? Uh, I wish I could have that meat over there. Look how cheap it is. We have to be careful about that. Because there's reasons why it's less expensive. Okay? There's reasons. If you've ever been to a non kosher, I've never been. I've just seen videos of a non kosher uh, you know, slaughterhouse. It's disgusting. The way they treat the animals, the, the, the condition of the animals. The way it's just it's nasty. So therefore, of course, it's less expensive. Plus, it's supply and demand. There are millions of people who eat non-kosher. So therefore, the 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 supply is high because the demand is great. Therefore, the price is low. It's simple economics. Non or excuse me, kosher food. On the other hand, there is a limited demand. So therefore, there is limited supply. Therefore, the high price is higher. 
It's very simple math. The fact of the matter is you have to, we have to get into our heads that that non-kosher brisket, the non-kosher chicken isn't food. So therefore, why are we, you might as well say, can I have the can of dog food for a dollar? It's so much cheaper. You might as well be saying that. Why not? It's beef, it's chicken. What's the problem? What I'm trying to say here is we have to be careful that we don't look over there and swoon over the, over the fact that it's a, a, a less expensive. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Depends. Because we might be guilty, and I know we don't want to think about it like this, but it's, it's true, we might be guilty of saying, God, why can't I have some quail in the desert? Just be thankful that you can buy meat. And by the way, who says we have to have meat at every meal? Meat, in Israel, meat is, is, is a specialty thing. You, have, you don't necessarily have meat all the time. You don't necessarily have brisket. Now, some people are used to having brisket and champagne for breakfast. Sometimes you have to have more fish, more dairy, more vegetables. And you have meat maybe on special occasions, maybe on Shabbat, maybe on Yom Tov, maybe on special holidays. You don't necessarily have meat all the time. Now, the, the fact that matters is just be grateful. Uh, hopefully what I just said made sense and helped some people, but we've got to be careful that we don't lust after that which is forbidden. To include the low-priced nasty chicken over there. Anyway, verse 21. Moshe said, 600,000 foot soldiers are the people in whose midst I am, yet you say I shall give to them meat and they shall eat for a month of days. Now, Earlier, the sages had said that this rabble, some not, not all the sages, but some of the sages say the rabble was the Erev Rav, which I have personal issue with. I, don't th- I think it's really bad that we always try to blame some other people group for our problems. First of all, If it really was the era of Rav, that is the converts that are causing us issues, what's wrong with us? Because aren't we supposed to be leading them? So therefore, if we blame the converts, then we are in effect indicting ourselves that we we have a failure of leadership on our part. Moreover, it can't be the converts because Moses points out here that he's trying to feed the 600,000. That would be the Jews. That is, those who are you know, born in a Jewish, grew up in a Jewish home. So the group in the Jewish home crowd are the ones who are complaining because he says, I'm trying to feed 600,000 foot soldiers. Did you catch that? There are 2.4 million converts. There are 600,000 Jews. Now, they're all Jews. Don't misunderstand my verbiage here. I'm just trying to make a distinction between two groups. And so Moses is saying here, listen, how can I have food for 600,000 foot soldiers? That's, that's not the era of Rav, my friends, which is why this is such a problem. In other words, you would expect the era of Rav to complain a little bit, right? That would be kind of expected. If they complain a little bit, then you would have the other Jewish people who kind of grew up in a Jewish home and understand things to just kind of tap that down. But the reason it's a problem is because the complaints are coming from the core of the nation. Some even say, according to Rabbi Monk, that the complaints actually came from the elders themselves, which would make it 
10 times worse. The point being here, don't blame other people for your problems. We'll never get anywhere in life as long as we're trying to find the reason for our failure outside of our own lives. If something went wrong, it went wrong. And by the way, just as a complete aside, off topic, failure is necessary for success. So don't be, af don't be afraid to fail. Anyway, verse 22. Can sheep and cattle be slaughtered for them and to suffice for them? Or if all the fish of the sea be gathered for them, would it suffice for them? It's remarkable that Moshe is having this conversation with Hashem. After he has seen everything that Hashem has done, he's now asking, how is this going to happen? How am I going to get food for all these people? It's crazy. But it just demonstrates that Moses is human. And in our humanity, we often lose sight of reality. And in this case, the reality that, could, that God has no limitations. But we do this all the time. Moses has not done anything here. He has not said anything here that we haven't said a thousand times, unfortunately, in our lives. Moses has seen God literally move mountains. He has seen him turn the Nile into blood. He has seen him rain down hailstones with flaming fire. And now he says, how can I feed all these people? It's crazy. It's insane what he's saying here. But he's cracking a little bit under the pressures of leadership. Just goes to show... Mo Moses' humanity doesn't take anything away from this great man. It just goes to show that uh, he has similar faults and, and, and failures that we have as well. So it says, Hashem said to Moses, Is the hand of Hashem limited? Now you will see whether my word comes to pass or not. So Hashem takes Moses to task a little bit. He said, Anything I can't do? This is why it, it just makes me crazy sometimes when, when you say things, well, you know, Hashem, um, you know, Yeshua is, is, is Hashem manifest, a manifestation of Hashem, a manifestation of Torah. And people said, uh, Hashem can't do that. What? what? Hashem and can't should never be used in the same sentence. Verse 24. Moses left and spoke the words of Adonai to the people, and he gathered 70 men from among the elders of the people and had them stand around the tent. He ascended, he descended rather, in a cloud and spoke to them, and he increased some of the spirit that was upon him and gave it to the 70 men. The elders, when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied but not, did not do, do so again. Two men remained behind in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, the name of the second one was Medad, and the spirit rested upon them, and they had been among the recorded ones, but they had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. The youth ran and told Moses, and he said, Eldad and Medad, the prophesied in the camp, and Yehoshua, son of Nun, the servant of Moshe's, Moshe, since his youth, spoke up and said, My Lord, Moshe, incarcerate them. Now, one of the reasons why Yehoshua said this was because the people were prophesying that Moses was going to die and leave Yehoshua in charge. And Yehoshua, to his credit, thought that was wicked, and he thought that they were prophesying evil. And so Moses turned around to Yehoshua and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Actually, he didn't say that, but it's reminiscent of the, of the dialogue that Yeshua had with Kepha. Because Yeshua was saying the same thing. I'm going to perish, and you're going to be the uh, you know, leader of the community here, Kepha. And Kepha didn't want to hear that, to his credit. And so, Yehoshua, same thing. Yehoshua thought, no, Moses is going to lead us in the promised land. Moses is going to take us in. And the reality was, that's not going to happen. 
these two men ended up prophesying truth. And the reason that their names are mentioned, they're the only two elders who actually have their names mentioned, is because they were so humble, the sages point out they were so humble, they were so worthy, that they felt themselves not worthy. Now, they, they didn't see themselves as humble. They saw themselves as not worthy. That's why, why they did not go to the tent of meeting. They were voted by their tribes to be elders, to be Zekanim. However, they did not view themselves worthy, so they didn't go to the meeting. They thought, who are we to go? We were voted yes, but really, seriously, you, me, no. As a result, they were given the benefit, the blessing of being able to prophesy what they did. So Moses said, are you being zealous for my sake? Would that the entire people of, of, of Adonai would be prophets, if Adonai would but place his spirit upon them. This is the greatness of Moses. As great as he was, he felt like anybody could aspire to his level, and he hoped that everybody would. Great leaders try to pull others up to their level. They work hard to make sure that others uh, aspire uh, and ascend. Bad leaders are the ones who always want to be the ones who are in charge, who are the ones who are saying everything, who are tapping everybody down, who take, who take credit for stuff that doesn't belong to them. And so just remember that as a, as a good leader, as a, as a great leader, your job is to pull up others around you. If you find yourself in a position where you are discipling someone, your mission is to make sure that they come up to at least your level and hopefully surpass you. I, my prayer is that future generations will surpass me. I, my prayer is that Mashiach will come in our, in our day, in our time. Amen, maybe so. However, if that is not the case, I pray that future generations will surpass me, that will surpass all of our leaders here, that will go beyond what we're able to do here, and uh, may that be so. so. So to finish up the chapter... Moses has brought into the camp, was brought into the camp, and he and the elders of Israel. A wind went forth from Hashem and blew quail from the sea and spread over the camp. A day's journey, this was a day's journey that way all around the camp, and two cubits above the face of the earth. The people rose up all that day and all that night and all the next day and gathered up the quail. The one with the least gathered the tent combers, and they spread them out all around the camp. The meat was still between their teeth, not yet chewed, when the wrath of Adonai flared against the people. And Adonai struck a very mighty blow against the people. He named that place Kirboth Hatava because there they buried the people who had been craving. From Kirboth Hatava, the people journeyed to Hazaroth and they remained in Hazaroth. We're going to end our Aliyah there today, my friends. I hope you have a blessed, wonderful, and amazing uh, Arab Shabbat. I want to see everybody in shul with us, either online or in person for the Holy Sabbath. Until then, may you be blessed. Have a great, wonderful, and magnificent day. Shalom, shalom. Glad to be back. And with God's help, we will see everybody on the first day of the week to begin our new power shah. Shabbat shalom.